Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with industry veterans Michael Hartsman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartsman. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman. Today is January 2nd, 2024. Did not screw that up. Happy New Year, Dominic. Happy New Year to you. No, I screwed it up, Mike. Happy New Year <laughs> to you and all our clients and, and uh, listeners and viewers. And uh, looking forward to a very, hopefully, very positive year, Mike. Absolutely. I hope you had a great holiday season. And, uh, you know, we put a we, we put a bow on 2023. And let's just do the numbers real quick, Dom, of what happened in 2023. is a really interesting year. But uh, the Dow Jones... Closed the year up 16.18. The S&P closed the year up 26.29. And the NASDAQ was the big winner by a lot. We talked about it all year. They closed the year up a very healthy 44.64%. 2023 made 2022 look like a distant memory. But we've seen this movie before, right? The, the yeah, um, so let's start with Mike. Uh, yeah, those were uh, across the board impressive numbers. Um, but for me, uh, what was really impressive is when we looked at these numbers, for example, the mid-year point, the end of July. You know, and we talked a lot about this, Mike. It was basically a handful of stocks, uh, less than 10, that were responsible for the majority of those gains. And you know, the last part of the year, the last quarter, um, those stocks also participated, but it was pretty much everything else that kind of caught up and really added to the gains for the year. So it was a kind of a, a I don't want to say pleasant surprise, but relief that uh, a lot of the higher quality, especially higher quality dividend paying stocks, mid caps, small caps, you start to see a much broader participation in the market. Um, and I think that that at the end of the day was probably the most positive thing for me. No question about it. And 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 the market almost behaved right on script, meaning we were we were really super focused on interest rates and what the Fed would say. And in spite of all the tragic wars that were going on in Ukraine and in, and in Israel. And all the other things we could worry about, the market really, you know, like a laser beam, really focused on what the Fed would say and when they would stop raising interest rates, when they would possibly start lowering them. And as soon as those signals became more than signals, really, you know, more clear cut, the market responded really right on cue. And every now and again, Dom, not that it's easy, but every now and again, you know, we get we get thrown a softball, and I think that was one of them. Whether where we're just waiting for that signal, and off we go. Mike, uh, spot on, well said. Um, you know, we we we're still dealing with, and, and certainly we were in the fourth quarter. All these geopolitical events that uh, you know uh, clearly flashpoints, crisis moments um, could could have significant economic impact around the world. We won't we'll put the human factors aside for a second. 
Um, and yet the markets chose to almost on a dime took that very horrific period of uh, August, September, and October where the markets retrenched and pulled back very significantly and almost on a dime spun around on the news by the Fed that they pretty much are done hiking rates and more likely than not lowering rates now in 2024 this year. And the market just spun around and, and gained back everything that it lost during that three-month period and then some. And again, and uh, what was very a relief, a much broader participation. So, yeah, if you could have written a script, Mike, I, I don't know that you could have done it any better than that. But I will I will take a moment here and, and pass the ball to your side of the court and say, what did it look like in January of 2023? And more important, what did this picture look like in March of 2023? And it would have been really, really hard to predict this kind of ending. Yeah, yeah yes, because a year ago, all the experts were predicting a recession. All the experts were predicting that the job market was going to crumble. All the experts were predicting that the Fed you know, waited too long and they had too much catch-up to play. And the Fed, by no means, they were not perfect. Um, as we talked about on our last podcast, you know, they they did break things. Uh, the, the banking sector um, had their, their fallout and those two large bank failures. But at the end of the day, Dom, the and look, and last year at this time, which is still shocking to me, and you and I got it right, they were predicting that by now they would be the Fed would have begun to lower interest rates. And you and I said then, be careful what you wish for. So thank goodness none of that stuff happened. But yeah, the predictions a year ago were pretty outrageous compared to what we wound up having in reality. Yeah, we always talk about headline risk, um, and it's really hard, Mike. We we do it for a living. We get paid to do this. But if you're an investor out there, you're sitting on your couch, and you're watching the all the business channels, and you're looking at those headlines, my gosh, it's really, really hard to stick to your plan and look at this picture on a longer-term basis. And from our end, it, it, our job is to manage that risk um, and not make any uh, really big bets that can blow up somebody's portfolio. But but we do it for a living, uh, Mike. And, and uh, the average investor out there, it would have been very, very difficult to just stay the course and close your eyes based on what the first part of last year looked like and what the headlines looked like. So guess what? The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Because this morning, before the market even opened, the futures were down fairly significantly, not a big deal. And the headline I read, which can make me dizzy, is market is anticipating rapid and constant rate decreases in the first half of the year. So again, the media creates this narrative, Dominic, which I think is almost impossible, A, to predict, and B, for them to be right. I just don't see how we're going to have rapid and frequent rate decreases in the first three to five months of the year without the economy completely falling apart. Yeah, Mike, and I, I hate to steal your thunder, um, but it was your commentary on, on one of our prior podcast, be careful what you wish for, because there are two scenarios and only two scenarios 
that uh, will allow the Fed to cut interest rates. The first is a very, very, very dramatic, which is what you're describing, recession. The Fed has to cut rates to put fuel back into the economy, to get it speed up, to get it going again. Man, we don't want that. That's high unemployment. That's businesses losing money. That's uh, a very large number of businesses going out of business. Um, we don't want that scenario. The second scenario is, hey, inflation continues to decrease at a at a pretty gradual pace, which is what it's been doing. And as that picture becomes clearer, the Fed uh, feels comfortable cutting interest rates modestly on a regular basis. That's the scenario we want. Yeah, you know, you use the word modestly. I was going to use the word moderately. Either one, because in this immediate gratification world we live in today, in prior interest rate cycles, Dom, the Fed normally takes, I don't know, six, nine, 12 months where they keep rates at the same level and then start to lower. And here we are. The Fed says they're done, and now immediately, 90 days later, we have to start cutting. You know, any economics professor would probably say that's not how things typically work, correct? Well, uh, and just to add to what you're saying, Mike, historically, they have cut rates pretty aggressively, but that's because we were in a recession. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they pushed interest rates so high, the economy comes to a dead stop. All of a sudden, unemployment spikes through the roof. And now the Fed finds itself in a position where they have to cut aggressively <clears throat> to get the economy restarted again. Um, we're not in that scenario. They have the luxury to do gentle, uh, systematic cuts as inflation continues to come down. Um, and I think that's the best case scenario. And frankly, you and I have talked about this in the past, and we'll get more into that in one of our future podcasts, but our calls for 2024. But we do see three, maybe, maybe four cuts next year, but not the six, seven, eight that some of the quote experts are calling. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't. I think you'll agree. I don't see them starting in March either, which some people are calling for. March might seem a little bit early, only because if we look at the economic growth for the first quarter, they, I believe, would react to that economic data for the quarter, mm. and so therefore, maybe uh, April might be more in mm. tune. If they sort again, the economy dramatically start to slow down, then March might be a possibility. But I, even if it was March or April, quarter of a point, Mike, just yeah. to, to start to grease the wheels a little bit and make sure that the economy doesn't slide off the cliff, but slowly bounces off a net zero and then continues the path of growth through the end of the year. I know how much you love the expression soft landing and hard landing. So I'm not happy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Next, next call. Next call. <laughs> exactly. So listen, tonight's guest is, is one of our original guests from one of our first podcasts. He's a great friend. He's a great advocate. He's a great resource for us. His name is Harold Balacci. He's our state attorney. He's my attorney. He's your attorney. He's the attorney for probably 50 to 100 of our clients. And we thought at the beginning of the year, Dom, to be a good way to kick off the year, just to talk about some of the uh, slight minor changes to the estate tax laws and just a, a good reminder in the beginning of the year that people need to look at their uh, paperwork and their beneficiaries 
So Harold's going to kick off our 2024. Looking forward to this conversation, Mike. So we'll be right back with Harold Balaji, founder of Balaji Law. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-G-A-X. Le tax. Rates on cash are already so low. Why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening, Harold Balacci, founder of Balacci Law. How are you, Harold? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Michael. Happy New Year, Dominic. Thanks Welcome, for Welcome, Harold, and Happy New Year. Good to be here. So, so Harold, on on when we were taking a break just now, in between the commercials, you guys were talking about it's a good time to review your paperwork, and you mentioned New Year's resolutions. And I'm not going to lie, I was at the gym this morning. I was extremely judgmental. It was packed, and I could look around and say, "Oh, this guy's this guy's a New Year's resolution guy." I'm not going to see him in a month. So, um, so you know, on on that note. It is a time of renewal. It is a good a time for fresh start. And, and you know, Dominic and I both have examples of things that happened to our clients recently, which made us want to have you as a guest and remind our clients how important their paperwork is. The situation I want to talk to you about is we had a client who, who got divorced. She was a beneficiary of her husband's 401k. Yes, there was another document through the divorce decree, but but he died, never changed the beneficiary. She was left the money. 
And people always assume, well, if I'm the beneficiary, I'm the beneficiary. It's irrevocable. And in this particular case, and sometimes it is the case where that's not as rock solid as you might believe it be. And this person wasn't looking for the money. You know, they thought they were doing the right thing, making the claim because mm -hmm. they were the beneficiary. But, you know, there were a lot of roadblocks that, that came up. And um, if you want to touch upon that briefly, because I know you were a little, you're a little bit involved in that and just get your take on that. Sure, I'd love to. First, uh, kudos to you for being in the gym. And, 6.30 uh, in the morning, baby. First thing, uh, God bless you for that and 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 for being a, a regular at the gym. We could all Thank you. Uh, take a lesson from your commitment to good health. Thank you. Uh, you know, as we started the program, we were saying you know, this, this is a new year. It's a time for action. And one of the things that I'm always reminding my clients to do is update your beneficiary designations on, on all accounts. Um, but to your point, sometimes that isn't enough. Uh, we generally think and believe that updating your ben beneficiary designations is, is rock solid. It reflects your wishes. Um, I call it passing an asset by operation of law. If there's a beneficiary on it, it passes automatically to the intended beneficiary. But I think what your client saw and we saw with your client is that uh, sometimes there are other documents that impact beneficiary uh, designations. And one of those is a divorce decree. And so in my pattern of reminding people to update your beneficiary designations, you need to do that in the context of your life and in the context of um, other assets, but also in this case, a court order. So the burden was on the decedent to update his or her beneficiary designation pursuant to a, an order um, of divorce by um, a judge. And unfortunately, the beneficiary um, She's out of luck. She didn't do anything wrong. Um, the decedent did. Um, and there's really no way, I, you know, I guess in this case, if she was a party to the divorce, she would have known that this asset was not hers pursuant to the terms of the divorce. But um, when updating documents, you need to do it in a global sense as it pertains to your entire life. And in this case, there was something there, a court order that, that got in the way of the designations. So um, it's frightening. It's scary. Um, take a look at your documents, especially if, if you're divorced. Um, what does your divorce decree say? And the financial institution in this particular case, the, you know, they don't have any skin in the game. Um, it's not up to them or any financial institution to make sure that, you know, there wasn't a divorce or a prior death or anything else. They just see old paperwork and they're just going to process that old paperwork, correct? Yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, because for the most part, that's what you want them to do. Yeah. Um, they want you, you want the financial institution to process those claims efficiently, quickly, judiciously. Uh, you want to carry out the intent of the individual who put that beneficiary designation on there. Um, 
financial institutions are only as good as the information that we provide. And as an investor, as a client, um, I have no expectation that that Labenthal Financial should have any knowledge of, of my divorce. I, the burden is on me. So that's really important when we talk to our clients. Look, we, we as, as a group, we all have confidential relationships with our clients and we want them to give us as much information as possible. But but I don't think it's fair to expect that that the financial institution should have caught this, if you will. Okay. Hey, Harold. So I'm going to kind of stay with this theme, uh, hopefully the whole evening here. And that means everybody should have like a pad and a, and a pen handy and, and let's create an action plan. And, and I think the first one is check who your beneficiaries are. So we could talk about certainly uh, uh, an IRA account or a 401k account. Check who the beneficiary is on your life insurance policy or your annuity. Mike, please jump in with any ones that I'm missing here. But let's review who you named as a beneficiary God knows how many years ago. And in case we, Mike, you and I both had where people show up with their life insurance policies from 20, 30 years ago when their kids were minors and they're no longer minors. So check, it's a simple phone call or a simple uh, uh, message or letter to, to the company. Give me a copy of my beneficiary form. It's very easy to document who you named whenever when you originally signed that document. Well, so Dom, to your point, it's the start of a new year, new year. Start a family playbook. Write it down. I'm a bookkeeper. I have all these little books that I write everything down in. Start a playbook and just write down. These are my insurance policies. These are who they're with. These are who the beneficiaries are. And call up and double check. And you might actually find some things that you forgot you had. You know, you, you might find that insurance policy from your first job 30 years ago that you completely forgot about. And your mom and dad who passed away 10 years ago are still the beneficiaries because when you started it, that's all you well, had. Or Harold, think about how many times people change jobs. They have an old 401k, 401k. at a prior employer. Maybe the case you and Mike were discussing, you were married to somebody else or you named a child, but you've left that job and you left that 401k behind with that same beneficiary designation. It doesn't take much to make a phone call, get a copy of that form and know who you actually named. Absolutely. And, and, and that's where your offices can also help. When in doubt... Call Dominic. When in doubt, call Michael and say, look, I, I need to make sure this is up to date or maybe roll it over into my Labenthal account because it was just sitting out there. I absolutely. You know, guys, the other the other situation that I've run into in my practice is business insurance, where where two people start a business, they insure each other. The business, when one reason or another gets sold, dissolved, fails. And and rather than renaming a loved one as a beneficiary, they you you have your ex partner as a beneficiary. And and you know my, the founder of my company when I first saw it with Milton Konigsberg ran into that, and he actually got the ex partner to to disclaim the death benefit. You know, so he got this person who had this three hundred thousand dollar windfall he he didn't deserve, and turned it over to the the widow who really needed the money, but 
you know, that happens frequently a lot also with, in, in businesses and partnerships. I remember talking with you about that scenario a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's one of the most salient examples of, of what people need to be doing. So we're going to continue right down the list. Mike, I don't know if you want to jump on this one or, or allow me to start it. Um, pull that will out of the drawer. Blow the dust off of it. <laughs> pull the old will out of the drawer and open it up and read it. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Pick, up, pick that one up. So, so, no, 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 I want you to finish that one because the one that drives me crazy is not an old document, is the new document where you go to someone like Harold and do and do a trust. And Harold clearly says, now you got to call Tavella and Hartsman. Now you got to call whoever and get those assets into the trust, right? And they don't. And they, they think that magically Harold has created this document, sprinkled pixie dust on it, and all the assets appear in the trust. And, 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 and Harold, that's the one that drives me crazy client will call me up and say so all my money's in a trust right i'm saying i didn't even know you had a trust yeah. i i i share your uh <laughs> your craziness when it comes to that because that's that's the whole point we put all this effort into creating the trust you have to fund the trust and 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 on the the attorney side it's very easy if you're transferring real estate into a trust i can do that for you I can prepare a deed, but I can't call up Labenthal and say, transfer this account into trust. I'm not authorized to do that for you. And with a, a lot of our mutual clients, I'll say, I'm going to send Michael the trust before you even leave my office. And they'll still forget to follow up with you and, yeah. and fill out the paperwork and fund the trust. And the problem is when you don't fund things, meaning not transferring the asset into trust, the trust is just a pile of paper and it defeats so many of the uh, express wishes of the person who created it. Um, not only does it delay the amount of time it takes for an intended beneficiary uh, to receive the asset, but the wrong person might get the asset if it's not properly transferred into the right vehicle. And so how we're gonna we're gonna approach our first break here, but maybe just some some thoughts for when we come right back. So you you open the drawer, you find this will that maybe you did 15, 20, 30 years ago. What is it that they're supposed to be looking at? I, I get this a lot, like, well, I don't know how to read it. I'm like it's really not that complicated. What is it that they're supposed to be looking for when they read that document? What is the executor or or the trustee? Maybe we could spend a few minutes when we come back going through what the individuals should be looking for, what they might want to think about updating, how they go about doing all that. Perfect. Great segue, great way to pick up after the break. And we will be right back with Dominic and Harold Balacci. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? 
Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom, but the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm-mm, less taxes. More income. Less taxes. More income. Less For taxes. your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund less taxes. or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X. The tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening, Harold Balacci, founder of Balacci Law, uh, talking about getting a fresh start in 2024 and making sure your all your documents are updated. Um, Harold, before we went to the break, I think Dominic asked or mentioned something that's – it's a great point. I don't think people spend enough time understanding the parties to a will or a trust. So there are there are trustees. There are executors. There are people who are appointed. There are beneficiaries. And, and frequently, as Dom said, you have a document that's 15, 20, 25 years old. It can name – Unborn children, literally you could say unborn children. You could name an executor who's dead, who you haven't talked to in 15 years. <laughs> Don't um, speak to anymore. I was just going to say that. Don't speak to anymore. There could be survivors, unfortunately, who have predeceased you. So just if you can, go through the parties of these documents and how important it is and what the role they play and why you need to make sure that you keep them current and fresh. Absolutely. So so before we went to break, Dominic said, what should I be looking for? So what are you looking for? Um, why do people do wills? People are doing this action at certain times in their lives. So when they either get a job or have money for the first time, when they get married or when they have a child, and then fast forward, then they're, they're sort of thinking of rounding out their lives. So if if someone brings in a will, I'm looking for a clause that says, all the rest, residue, and remainder of my estate shall be distributed to 
and then it lists names. So if you're looking at something for the first time, who's it going to? So that's the number one thing because that's who's inheriting your estate. Second, the second two things I'm looking at are who's your nominated executor and have you nominated any guardians for minor children? Um, because a lot of people do that and you know, people age out, people move away, people die. So I'm looking for what you have, who it's going to, and who you've nominated to step into your shoes because that's really what the person you're nominating to serve as an executor or a guardian are doing. They're becoming you in death and they're going to carry out your wishes, carry out your business affairs. They might even raise your children. So those are the, those are the three things that I look for immediately. And that'll give you a very clear picture of whether or not somebody's estate plan needs to be updated. At, at the end of your question, Domin, uh, Michael, you, you referenced trusts as well. Here too, who have you nominated to serve as a trustee over, over your money? Um, and probably as a trustee for a minor or a disabled individual, is, is that person still in your life? Um, do they still have the ability to serve? You know, we we kind of get focused. That's an important one, uh, uh, Harold. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but maybe you could put a little emphasis on that. It's quite conceivable that somebody you nominated 20 years ago is still part of your life today, but they are they in a physical, mental position where they actually can take on that burden? And it is a lot of work, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I'm glad you jumped on that, Dom, because this comes up fairly often. Um, because a lot of times when people are doing planning, they're appointing their contemporaries and our contemporaries are aging. We're all aging at the same rate. So, you know, if you come in in your 70 and you're appointing your, your older brother, it might not be fair or realistic or possible for somebody of an advanced age to serve as an executor, to serve as a trustee. And God forbid to serve as a guardian of a child. You know, some some people just age out of their ability to handle these responsibilities, and that's okay. Um, the challenge then becomes identifying other individuals to fill those roles, and and that can be very difficult for people. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of people who do not have extended families or relationships where they have that that trusted person who they trust to raise their children or settle their estates. So it, they're hard questions to answer, but they're good questions and they should be answered. And frequently, you know, we, one of my favorite expressions is we make plans and God laughs. I had one of my original clients pass away recently and she always refused to change her beneficiaries and all her beneficiaries were her older brothers. So and they were in Europe. And I would say to her, you know, you need to change a beneficiary. She said, no, this is my blood. And I want them to be on there. I don't want them to get offended. And guess what? She died first. So now I have this 90-year-old man in England who's inherited money in the U.S., doesn't want it, doesn't need it, and is, and is attempting to disclaim it. And it was, we got it done. It was a bit of a mad dash. Um, and again, Harold, at what point is it incumbent upon you, 
you have to do what the client wants, right? But you know, at what point do you do you just cross that line and say, this is not a great idea? It happens far too often, unfortunately. And and you're asking about an advisory. It's it's unfortunately it happens too often where people don't take our advice. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this conversation more often than I'd like. You know, I told your mother she had to do this. We talked about this for years. She didn't want to do it. I can't force your hand. I can't hold the pen. Um, it's very frustrating. Uh, to your to your scenario, Michael, in a situation where where an older sibling or a parent is inheriting, you could impact their state taxes. Um, and 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 the intended recipient of their money may not be the who you intended for their money to go to. You know, if you spent your entire life estranged from your sister, you probably don't want your parents to inherit because your estranged sister is now your beneficiary because she's going to get it from from your parents. So there are so many implications when people don't look at the broader picture and the roles that people play. And circumstances change, right, Harold? And this is why the importance of pulling the document out and reading it. We we have recently a case where uh, the child is the beneficiary, an adult child, but that child has issues and problems and substance abuse. And maybe now you don't want to leave everything directly to them. And this is where a trust might come into the conversation. But reviewing your current circumstances is critical to making good decisions, not decisions you made 20 years ago. Absolutely. And I sound like a broken record when I'm when I'm with my clients. You need to look at your estate documents as life changes, as life evolves. And and change doesn't mean bad things only. Good things happen to people. When you have children, review your estate plan. If you have a financial windfall, review your estate plan. As people come in and out of your life, review your estate plan. And and it's so easy because your practitioners like me, I want to hear from you. I want you to come in and I'm going to update things probably at no cost. It's going to make me happier that the T's are crossed and that, that everything's done than, than trying to, to extract another fee out of someone. Everything's everything's in, in word. We can make changes easily. Just do it. And and make it make it a common practice. I, I know you do annual reviews with your clients. As you do your annual review with your financial advisor, take an opportunity to look at your estate plan. And this goes for 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 healthcare directives and powers of attorney as well. Um, those are very broad, powerful documents. And if you've nominated somebody to make those decisions on your behalf, and that person isn't in your life anymore, is estranged, is dead, you need to take care of those things now. So just explain what those two documents are, Harold, for for people that aren't familiar with them. Sorry, Mike. Sure. So um, a a healthcare proxy is a directive whereby I name an agent to make healthcare decisions on my behalf. And when somebody's making healthcare decisions for you, um, there's a good possibility that they're going to be making end-of-life decisions for you. So you need to be really satisfied that that person knows your wishes, but most importantly, 
is going to be available when you need them. This isn't some somebody who should be remote or estranged. Proximity is, in my opinion, even though the world is, you know, one click away, proximity when it comes to a lot of these decisions is very, very important to me. Um, a power of attorney, so a healthcare proxy deals with the person, deals with decisions uh, over a person's body and health. And a, a power of attorney is a document where you, whereby you appoint an agent uh, to take care of your business affairs from banking, real estate, investing, taxes, insurance. So you need to be very confident that the person who's acting as your agent is going to reflect your decisions, make informed decisions, and, and do what you've asked them to do and make good decisions for you. Harold, you said something before, which I think bears repeating. You could be estranged from someone, think you've eliminated them from your estate and your assets, but depending on the bloodline and depending on, for lack of a better word, the chain of command, the, 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 you, they may inadvertently inherit your assets anyhow. I think that's so important. And the question is, is it avoidable? Is it avoidable? Absolutely. Yeah. Meaning, Absolutely. does a trust, do, is it, I know the old expression is you can't, you can't manage your trust. You can't manage your assets from the grave. And a lot of people try to. But would a trust or way a document is written is there a way for a person to avoid this other party who's estranged from them from ultimately ever inheriting their assets? Yes, with with some limitations. And I, I think the phrase you're looking for is uh, re uh, reaching out from the grave. Yes. I'm reaching out from the grave um, because we all think we can do that. And um, we can, but it can be hard. A, a good planning attorney will go through these scenarios with you. You know, for example, a, a lot of times it comes up, I don't want my son-in-law or daughter-in-law yes. to do anything. Yes. What can we do? Or I'm worried because my son's marriage is tenuous. What if this? And you just, you need to be very clear in your instructions and you need to talk out the chain of events, you know, to, to the scenario we were just talking about, you don't leave things to your parents if you don't want your sister to get any of your money. You don't leave anything to your brother if you don't want his wife to get any of your money. It's just one of those things. And and so you're saying, how how can we how can we mitigate that or avoid it? You can avoid it by making making your testamentary documents very clear. Um, but then you can put strings on on money. If if you're trying to prevent a a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law from reaping the benefits of your hard work, um, leave your daughter's inheritance in trust and direct that um, any real estate that she wants to buy needs to be purchased through the trust, um, and use that trust vehicle as a means of keeping that asset in your bloodline because it will it will indicate who the beneficiary of that asset uh, is after your daughter passes. 
Um, you know, it's not it's not the best. It's not everybody's ideal scenario because it does limit what the intended beneficiary can do with their inheritance. But it does give the decedents some peace of mind knowing that um, not all of their their assets are going to be available, if you will, to somebody who they don't want to receive a dime. And then one follow up. I apologize, Dom. No, please, Mike. To my understanding. Inherited assets, if they stay in that person's name only, if there's a divorce, an inherited asset does not become part of joint property, correct? Correct. But you have to be very careful in not commingling that right. property. Right. So if, if you inherit something and you start paying debt down on a marital mortgage or you start buying anything that you're commingling with a spouse, um, forget about it. Because that's a conversation that Dominic and I have had with married couples, you know, when they've inherited money, you know, I'm not shy. And sometimes if I'm lucky, the person who's not inheriting money goes to the bathroom. I'm like, hey, I just want to make sure we're putting this in both your names. And here's why I'm asking real quick, right? But, you know, I think it's also incumbent upon you, the attorney, Dom and I as the advisors, to make sure that we inform the person who's inheriting this money, how these rules work. I, I think that's really important. And I think this brings in another fact pattern, which is probably fairly common in, in all of our practices. And that's blended families. It's that mm -hmm. second and third marriage where you have people who are already uh, financially comfortable and financially stable and not wanting to... Um, <laughs> share their wealth with with a new spouse's bloodline and and having those conversations can be hard i mean it's a it's a testament to the strength of the relationship that that people can say look i love you we're newly married but my kids are getting my money and your kids are not and that's why it's so important to to write it out as clearly as possible and um and that's that's a really this culminates in so much of what we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes or so. Blended marriages, second marriages, third marriages, thats uh, or blended families, I should say. It's when you're bringing all these people together. Um, you need to be crystal clear about who and, gets And back to our original point, Harold, where you might have a document that were pre, uh, was created pre your second or third marriage. Right. Um, and you might want to include those other children. You might not, but you should have the choice and you should be very conscious about doing that. Right. And, 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 and most people should not have any expectation that they're going to get something over somebody else's children from a prior marriage. Your children are your children. Um, and it's okay to keep them separate. And, and that actually, I think it works best when, when, when people remarry Keeping that dividing line just makes it so much easier for everybody in the end. Regardless of, of, of your love and affection for your stepchildren, um, th this, is, this is the estate plan and this is how- Well, again, decided. somebody should make that decision very consciously. Exactly. Yeah. And, one, and there, one common tool, which I think benefits everybody, is a personal residence trust yeah. where-, where you can say to your new spouse, okay, if I predecease you, 
you can live in this house for the rest of your life, but it's not your home. You have to take care of your home. But when you move out or when you're deceased, it's my children's home. And and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a document that basically hopefully can make everybody a little happy. Another very common scenario, this, this comes up very often. And again, um, it's the details that matter. Um, for example, and this, and it doesn't have to be a second or third marriage. This, this just could be, um, if I die, my wife or my husband um, can live in the house. And this is, I bought my house before I got married to you. So my name is the only name on the deed. But I recognize <laughs> if I die that, that you're going to want to live here. And people get very specific. And they say, look, um, my surviving spouse can live in my house until he or she dies or until they remarry. A lot of people get really hung up on, I don't want, I don't want your future spouse living in my house. Uh, it's my kid's house. So y you put in parameters. And this is also common where, where, where couples are cohabitating and, and there is no, no marriage. You don't want to leave people out uh, in, in the dark, if you will. Um, but you need to clearly identify what the term of their residency is going to be and who's responsible for upkeep and maintenance and taxes. And if failure to do upkeep um, has any repercussions, does it mean that um, you lose your tenancy if you don't pay the taxes, if you fail to put on a new roof? Does it mean that uh, the beneficiaries can evict you from the property? Um, great question. And you need to be very, very clear and particular on that. Harold, I, I had a client call recently and uh, full disclosure, it wasn't you, but they went to an attorney and they came back nearly uh, horrified that, oh my God, if I don't cross every T and dot every I, my estate's going to have to go through probate as if that was a four letter word. Um, and you know, all of us uh, via clients and our relationship with you, Harold, have gone through the probate process. Um, why, why don't you walk clients through what that means and what is it really as difficult and horrific as some attorneys speak it out to be? Great question. I am the biggest advocate for probate avoidance uh, for many reasons. That the, and so let, let's just explain to, to your listeners what probate is. Probate is the process whereby your last will and testament is submitted uh, by your nominated executor to the surrogate's court in the county where you live so that that person can be appointed your executor and marshal your assets and distribute them based on the terms of your will. Um, Probate's gotten a bit of a bad reputation, mainly because it takes a long time. And it takes a long time because the surrogates courts in New York um, have too much work and too few people uh, to do that work. So it's not- So Harold, I'm going to interrupt you right there. So it's definitely the county that you live in, correct? Yeah. So for, in this case, we're going to say Nassau County. Um, how long? How long is a probate process- it, is it going to take you to get 
your executor uh, letters of testamentary issued? How long? Nassau I know it's County, barriers, uh, yeah. but so don't 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 hold me to this. Uh, Nassau County, I would tell you three to six months. Suffolk County, I would tell you three to six months. Uh, Queens County, I would tell you one to two years. And I would tell you the same thing for Kings County. Um, they just have too much work. The, the, the volume is so high um, and the court personnel couldn't get, get through all this work if they, if, if, if they had tried all year. Um, and that's, that's okay. And that's why you need to work around probate. And so how do you do that? You put beneficiary designations on your accounts because that helps you to avoid probate. You create a trust because that helps you avoid probate. Um, probate's not quite a four-letter word. It might be a two- or three-letter word. Um, but a large part of my practice is probate avoidance. And and having, having beneficiaries, if I heard you correctly, will help you avoid probate, correct? Absolutely. And so consider this. For most married couples who, who have assets jointly held, um, who own their houses as uh, tenants by the entirety, most assets are going to transfer to a surviving spouse by operation of law. So in most scenarios, when you have a married couple, it's really the last to die whose will is submitted for probate. And, and what's the one thing that you really can't put a beneficiary designation on? real estate. So um, financial advisors can help and get everybody's name on on um, accounts. Um, I don't like putting people's names on deeds because that's how you would avoid probate, probating real estate. Um, if you're trying to avoid probate um, on, a, on a piece of real estate, a marital home, put it into trust. Harold, on that pearl of wisdom, we are out of time, my friend. We, uh, as always, could probably continue this conversation for at least another hour, Harold. But I think it's a good start. Pull the documents out, check them, check your beneficiaries, check your will, reread it, make sure it's what you want. And then there are plenty of qualified people out there, Harold included, that can help you uh, make sure it's exactly what you want it to be. Yeah, now that it's a new year, take action, get organized. Harold, if anyone if anyone had any questions, wanted to reach out to you directly, how would they do that? I can call me directly at uh, 516-538-9700. Uh, my website is balachilaw.com. And appreciate you letting me say that. Thank you. You're quite welcome. We appreciate your time this evening. Thank you, have Harold. A and a very, very happy, healthy new year. Same to you. Thanks for having me. Happy 2024. Thank you. We are out of time and we'll be back next time with a new edition of the Labenthal Report. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic and Michael will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.